bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today's guest in today's episode will have all the great cliches in life. Never judge a book by its cover, and it's never too late. And you'll find out who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about here next on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. In Pennsylvania, a teenage girl that was about to turn 18 was driving her brand new car home when she looked. When you need someone to listen. A lawyer you know and trust. Congratulations to all the Minnesota businesses that scraped through the last year. It sure hasn't been easy, but we've done it together. And while we certainly need to move forward, it's good to reflect on what we've been through and the many losses. Here at Bradshaw and Bryant, we held a lot of Zoom meetings, increased our phone calls, and have done our best to keep up with all the changes while continuing to provide quality work. We'd like to thank everyone that turned to us with their personal injury and criminal needs as well as the courtrooms for bringing the community back together to serve justice. We look forward to being part of Minnesota's growth and success for many years to come. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything till you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Seeking justice for the injured, Bradshaw and Bryant. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. 
Hello? Yo. How you doing? Hey, what's happening? Let me put these headphones in so I want to make sure you hear me. That way I can hear you and I don't hear anything else. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Is that you can hear me? Should be able to hear me a little better too, because I was on speaker before. Right. No. Just fine. Okay. Uh, this is a post-produced show, so I've kind of already recorded an opening, and then I'll welcome back the audience, and we'll get to going from there. Uh, one question: I publish a photo of the person when I do this. Do you want me to use one for your gopher days or your, from your NBA days or from from now? Or um, I don't know you pick. It don't matter to me. It's okay. up to you. All right. All right. <laughs> up to well, you. Like I said, I'm going to welcome back the audience and then we'll get going. Okay. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. And it's with much pleasure... And much excitement that I welcome today's guest, somebody I knew from my college days, and he was somebody to know on campus. And like I said, with all the great cliches, it's never too late, and don't judge a book by its cover. I like to welcome Willie Burton. How are you doing, Willie? I'm doing good, yourself. How are you today? I'm all right. Say, uh, I've run into you a couple of times on campus and uh, wanted to have you on because you have an interesting story going on and you have a great past. But uh, before we get all to that, uh, can you give me some background? Where did you grow up and um, what type of family and those type of things? I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Um from, I live both on the east side and the west side. Um, came from a pretty stable family, a pretty wild area, though. But, um, you know, my home and my support from my parents were were instrumental in me being the professional that you see today. And that's always important to have both parents in your life. Um, so what fostered the love of basketball? Um, well, I was the youngest of my group of cousins and they played sports all the time. We played baseball, football, basketball, tag. We always did something physical to get around. And, you know, things were a little different back in the day. We didn't have video games where we could sit up. So we had to be creative. Um, uh, and, and, and also, <laughs> you know, parents couldn't afford those things back then anyway, if they did exist. Right. So, um, <clears throat> So we were always doing physical activity. So I learned uh, to compete with older cousins uh, and I would play different sports. So I tried them all and it seemed I was better at actually baseball and basketball. Um, so I stuck with it. Did, did you also play baseball? Yeah, played baseball, played football and ran track. Okay. Yeah, your son has had some success and actually came back for for a year, well, he transferred to the U, and I saw the pride you had him wearing the M. That had to be a good thing for you. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, 
Uh, he's the one that's more like me. I would say he's very competitive. This guy, you know, he really wanted to go to University of Minnesota at the very beginning, but Michigan State, you know, came up and 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 then when he had his opportunity to come to come here, uh, he 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 took advantage of it. He did real well, but with the new rules and the new structures and financing and athletics, um, sometimes that kind of that, that got in the way of him finishing here, you know. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a competitor. He's a competitive kid. You know, I'm old now. I don't want to compete like that. <laughs> well, you're you're being nice. I'll mention what you just mentioned. Unfortunately, we've lost the indoor part of the uh, track men's tr- track program at the University University of Minnesota, and your son had to look elsewhere for his final indoor. But oddly enough, about an hour ago, I was leaving my doctor's office and I ran into um, Coach Bingo and Coach Kabia. So okay, <laughs> did, I didn't even tell them that I was interviewing you today. I'll leave that <laughs> as a surprise and send and uh, forward this interview to them also. So yeah, you, he really he really wanted to stay here. He really did. Matter of fact, he's here in the summers, so he's still back here now. Um, okay. You know, he really you know I guess he grew up seeing his dad doing this, and he really does miss it. You know, but unfortunately, you know, budgets were cut. So right. So, as you, you know, you check out this fancy word, matriculating through high school, um, what caught your eye in your recruitment to the University of Minnesota? Well, the city itself, how it operated, um, its educational structure, uh, just a lot of points about the Twin Cities that, that brought everyone else here. The, co- the coaching, the players, the history of the athletes here at the university. And <clears throat> secondly, what a lot of people didn't know, and I didn't realize until I got up here, is that Mary and Barbara's little brother and I were in Cub Scouts together. And Mary and Barbara, when he played Michigan State, used to come visit the Cub Scouts. Okay. And, and I remember their brother, Carlos, also. So, Carlos Barber. So, you know, when I kept looking at Marion Barber, Marion Barber, I was, as a kid, I thought he played for Michigan State because he would be at the game. They would always say, well, he's playing Michigan State. I'm, you know, a kid. I didn't think he was playing against Michigan State. I thought he played for Michigan State. He played for the Gophers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, we're talking about Marion Barber Jr., not the third. So yes. just to clarify for some people, you know, Willie's yeah. almost as old as me. He's not as old as me, but he's almost. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And uh, I take it. Uh, so how did you wind up being recruited by uh, Coach Haskins? Well, actually, I was assigned in a Coach Dutcher. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so the situation happened. Uh, I, you know, it was just it was it was great. I got the chance to meet Al Nunes, and I got the chance to see, you know, African Americans that were in corporate position. That was something new and different. Right. And I saw how all the Gophers stayed here and had great families, no matter where they came from. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, things happened, and then Coach Haskins. Uh, I was scheduled to meet Coach Haskins uh, 
on like a Thursday. And, uh, and he had just got the job here. And uh, he said that a coach had called him and told him that he needs to get there tomorrow to talk to me to make sure that I don't leave, that I didn't, that I wasn't choosing, which I wasn't. I was coming here for the for the area and to be a gopher. Um, and Coach Hassan showed up at my house on Monday. <laughs> he, he was scheduled to come Thursday, but he showed up at my house on Monday. And uh, he told me the story about he had got a call from a coach that said I needed to get here. Because Coach Hassan didn't really know what type of player I was because he didn't recruit, you know. So, right. um, so and uh, the rest is history. And I let Coach know, look, I'm coming up there from Minnesota because I wasn't planning on playing professional sports. I wanted to live in the Twin Cities after. It's a great place, great life. The Gophers I love forever. Well, going through your college years, what effect did uh, Clem have on your life? A tremendous effect as far as me maturing, me being responsible, teaching me different things about what's expected of me in the public um, as an athlete, um, how people are going to view me, careful what I say and how I say it, you know, always have a clean shaved face and nice haircut, you know, always be represented. One of his big things was looked apart. That was his one of his biggest things. Some of the players who listened to this are all of this would know what, exactly what I'm saying. Look the part. That means you look like you belong. You look like you, you know, a young man of character. You look, you look and dress, uh, representing the University of Minnesota. Yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to uh, forge some, I wouldn't say deep friendship, but friendships with people like you and uh, Walter and Quincy Lewis and, um, Jim Jansky and others who played under Clem. And you guys, to this day, all carry yourself a certain way. So, um, Plus, I, I got to touch the hem of Clem every once in a while myself. And I would uh, hang out over there with Harry. And um, yeah. um, Harry said hello, by the way. I saw him on Saturday. And, um, yeah, Harry, say hello. Yeah. Oh, Harry. Cheap Harry would not give you equipment. You could not keep that equipment <laughs> under any circumstances. You can break every record in the school. You're not going to keep a cracker jersey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the difference between the mid-1980s and today, whereas <laughs> the rules today are we have to, because it's tied to your image or that athlete's Im image, you literally yeah. have to give them everything because it's tied to them. It's the yeah. easiest way of not being sued. So, <laughs> <laughs> But um, he was only doing his job. But Clem, yeah. uh, Clem grabbed me one day. I was goofing around on the court after uh, a game, waiting for you guys to uh, shower because we took the laundry. I was one of the people who took the laundry back to Beerman to uh, wash it and get it ready for you guys' next practice and whatnot. And um, I was taking jump shots, and he pulled me aside. He said, come here. And I was like, uh-oh. He <laughs> said, let me show you something. I was like, yeah, coach. He said, all right, stand behind me and let me post up on you. I said, okay. And he said, I'm going to teach you 
the greatest shot in the world that you will always be able to do. And it's like, all right. And he taught me how to shoot the, the hook shot. And to this day, I can, that's the only shot probably I can make outside of a layup is, uh, is to get somebody on my hip and, and shoot a hook shot. So, uh, and I always would notice the, the huddles during games. There was always teaching. There was always coaching going on. Was there things that you learned from him that you were able to carry to the next level? Um, a lot of things I was able to carry to the next level. Matter of fact, a lot of things that he taught me and a lot of things that he and the coaching staff mentioned end up keeping me um, in line. Because, you know, as, as, as you get young, sometimes you, you do things, you make mistakes, you, you act a certain way, you might kind of, you know, you, you know, the NBA is an interesting place, but sometimes, you know, we're young and, and we get out there and some of the things that they said, a lot of things that they said brings you right back. Them and my parents. Um, and that's why I'm sitting here today. I mean, I can go over a million things. Um, but basically what happens is the information that you put into a, an individual, at some point, it will grow. You plant a seed. It's just, when they say it's so you know, cliche, but plant a seed, it will grow, whether you want it to or not. You know? Yeah, that's uh, very true. I was lucky enough to have that happen in my life. And we talked about Harry. Harry Broadfoot was one of those people, and Dick Matson, plus my parents. So, and the high school football coaches I worked under all planted seeds that uh, grew and continue to grow to this day. So it must have been helpful when you were drafted in the NBA, and it was time to make that next step to have somebody like Clem to. Um, talk to before you went off for the NBA. Yeah, yeah that was that was interesting. Because I plan I didn't plan on playing in India. I planned on staying in Minnesota and living a good life. That's what I planned on doing. That was my plan. You know, a lot of people, a lot of things are said, you know, but that wasn't my plan. My plan was to do like, you know, to be like all the other guys, the former Gokers here and be in the magazine for doing something positive as you show recruits. You know, that was big. Right. I wanted to be like Al Nunes. I did. Yeah, you, to this day, you will wear your gold uh, Letterman uh, sweater <laughs> here yeah. and there. Was, yeah. You, know, you wear it with pride. So, yeah. Uh, so, you, you, who did you get drafted by in the NBA? The Miami Heat. I went from the refrigerator to the oven. <laughs> and who was the uh, coach at the time? Uh, Ron Rothstein, he had coached the Detroit Pistons. Matter of fact, he went back to Miami. He was there doing the championship. So he was there with the championship with the Pistons and then the championships with the Miami Heat. Excellent coach for NBA. I, I, I contribute a lot of my scoring in the NBA because I, I, I could score. To hit his direction my first year, he taught me how to break down offenses. He taught me how to see and view things on the floor so that I can score. And he, he, he taught me that in my first year. I mean, he taught me that really that summer because in my first NBA game, I had 25 points. You know? Yeah. Well. So that's great teaching. Yeah, I, I remember you went from somebody that Clem wanted to be a scorer and be a rebounder to somebody who was a scorer and a rebound. And I would assume that 
uh, Coach Rothstein uh, saw that and also uh, built upon that too. Yeah, the NBA is a little different, you know, at least the teams that I played on, because in the NBA, you have 30 people that can rebound, 20 people that can play defense, 30 people that can pass. But one of the things that's really highly valued in the NBA more than anything is a score. You know, someone that could literally put the ball in the basket. And there's guys, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you really, in the NBA, really what you're trying to do is keep guys from getting 50 or 40 or 30. Right. That's what you're trying to do. You're not going to stop them. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Right. So you just don't want them to set records. <laughs> that night on you. Uh, I take it that, part, you know, you played with people like uh, MJ and, and Barkley and, and other greats and Isaiah Thomas. Uh was there anybody in the league that had an influence on you and also left a lasting impression? A lot of people did that. I mean, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, um, Isaiah Thomas, people you're talking about. Um, uh, Kevin McHale, you know, from the Gophers. Mm -hmm. Although Kevin, Kevin and Larry Bird teamed up with me my rookie year. I mean, they really teamed up on me, man, real hard. But that's what you do to rookies, you know. Um, they didn't just get 50 each, though, did they? Uh, no. Okay. no, they didn't. Not that, not that night. Not that night. Thank God. <laughs> Was there uh, somebody that you... I don't want to use the word fear facing, but was there a matchup that you didn't care for in the league? Man, man you talk about the NBA. <laughs> that's a lot of, that's night. That's every night because the best guys that you see are the, the all-stars. Everybody there is good. Um, um, I tell you, the one person that I couldn't do anything with, the one person that's, that's nothing I could do with because he was we were the same type of players, except he was like two inches taller. So, and that two inches gives you a real advantage people don't know. In height, number one, in arm length, and other things, uh, was James Worthy. James Worthy was the only player. James Worthy. My goodness. It was like, and, and I talked to him at the All-Star game, and I told him again. I was like, dude, I, I, that's the one person. I mean, a lot of guys say that. You know, you hear guys say that. You know, guys who told me that. You know, but, you know, I had to. I told him again. I was like, "Dude, I mean, there was nothing I could do." He just started laughing. He's like, "Oh, come on, Willie." I was like, "Dude, you gave me nightmares, dude. I had a hard time scoring, and then I had a hard time defending." <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was a great player, and he's a Hall of Famer. And, um, he's got multiple championships. Um, so. As your career moved on, what other teams did you play for? Miami, Philadelphia, Atlanta, San Antonio, Charlotte. Um, so I played for those teams. Uh, I was actually headed to the Timberwolves, which actually ended my career. Um, I was supposed to stay in San Antonio. If I did, I would have a ring today. Yeah. But, but I, I wanted to come back to Minnesota. I was trying to get back to Minnesota. And I had a career-ending, pretty much career-ending injury. Um, snapped my Achilles. 
here. I was living here. I was living in Minnesota. You know, I was coming back to Minnesota and I was going to get like a, I was going to do like a two or three year deal and call it quit. That was it. I was coming back to finish exactly where I started and do what I said I was going to do when I was 18, finish in the Twin Cities and stay here and live. Mm-hmm. That, that didn't happen. So when that injury happened, that changed everything. And I had to sit up with my leg up. Uh, I went, I signed at the end of the year with Charlotte that year, but I wasn't the same player. My leg still had to heal. Um, and I had to watch the San Antonio Spurs win the championship. Wow. That had to... Yeah. So how do you get over something like that? Well, it was really easy. and Actually, it was a blessing in disguise. Believe it or not. Some things you think that are, are why does this happen to me? You know, I thought that initially. Why does this happen to me? Why? What's, what's that? I mean, I, you know, I'm not causing any trouble with anyone. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. Um, why is this happening? The first thing came to my mind was, okay, it's enough being Willie Burt. It's time to be a dad. Mm-hmm. It's time to focus on your children. It's time to be a dad. And that's what immediately got me over there because that's what it's all about. I, I had did enough as, a, as an athlete. Okay, I got my respect. I got my respect in the Big Ten. I got my respect in the NBA. Uh, did some things. Okay, but that's just a game. You know, I've got people that are brought here in this world that I need to go and raise and be there consistently and not having them catch up with me on, that, on an airplane. So your your want to come back to the Twin Cities, what was it? And um, was it the Minneapolis sound? <laughs> was it the stuff that was going on? Just a lifestyle in general, but what was the pull back to many, back to the Twin Cities? Uh, the people, the people, the uh, the lifestyle, the relationships, uh, and longing to come back to simplicity. Coming out of the NBA, right. coming out of the NBA in its world, coming back to simplicity, without all of the lights, camera, action, you know. Yeah, I would always explain that to people because I felt the same way. It was a big city with small town, a small small city feel and small, you know, small town values, which was great to raise a family in and do all those things. So, as you then your career's over, you're you're a father, you're uh, getting past. Um, in post-pass NBA career, what was your first thoughts? What did you think you should be doing or needed to do or wanted to do? Well, again, the blessing in disguise was me being a father. So um, basically when I became a father, I became a volunteer at my kids' school. I helped them with their homework. I picked them up, dropped them off. I didn't want my kids to play sports. That's the honest. I did that, but that, that, you know, I wasn't going to block them. But, you know, I, I didn't want them to necessarily do that because their dad did. I want them to do it because they wanted to do it. Um, lo and behold, everyone had some kind of ball, a track, or swimming, or <laughs> something. So, but in that, go ahead. No, I was going to say it beats them being in trouble. So, or just sitting yeah. around. Yeah, it does. 
So in that, what happened was I started realizing that I like to work with kids. But I needed to do a couple of things. I needed to, I became a substitute teacher at my kids' school. Mm-hmm. So I've been a, a teacher in, in uh, all my kids' classes. It, it, all my kids have seen me in their school, in their class. Um, but then my daughter, who was about to graduate from college, and I went, hold on a second. You know, the competitor in me came up. How are you going to beat me? It's a trip. I gave my life, you know, up and doing everything and went to work. And the one thing that I want to do at the University of Minnesota was graduate. And you're about to beat me? Oh, no, that's not going to happen. (laughs) For those who don't know, the University of Minnesota is a trendsetter in this one aspect. They will allow athletes to come back and finish their degree. Um, I believe for free. I may be wrong, but um, yeah, come back and finish their and and graduate. And I mean, it's been people like you and Marion Barber, the uh, junior, and um, uh, Bobby Trent Bell. Tucker. Who else? Trent Tucker. Yeah, Trent Tucker. And Eric on, Harris. Yep. On and on and on have come back and taken, you know, that's a great opportunity, taking that opportunity head on and, and uh, graduated. Because unfortunately, back when we were in school, the graduation rate of a basketball football player was like somewhere between 7 and 13%. Now you look mm-hmm. at that today and it's between 70 and 80%. So it's quite a difference. But what did that uh, receiving that diploma mean for you? Well, I got to be honest with you. I had no idea it would take me seven years of school to get a bachelor's degree. <laughs> but it meant a lot. Right. It took me six and a half. So, and I, didn't yeah, I came back to school. You didn't stop? What? <laughs> no. Who are you taking one class at a time? <laughs> Back, it was back in the days where you had to have like two hundred and something credits, not like the mm-hmm. hundred and something they have they have to get now. So, took a little bit. On average, it was five years to get out of the University of Minnesota back then. Well, well, I went to school for seven years. You know why I went to school for seven years? Because when I came back, the School of Home Economics, the College of Home Economics. It no longer existed. So I went from being I went from being six classes from graduating, six six or seven classes from graduating, a semester, a, a summer, and a and a semester, which is what I calculated before I left, mm-hmm. a summer and a semester, and uh, I went from that to three years. Right. Oh man, are you serious? I I, I never forget when. Josh Burrow was looked across from me and told me that. And I looked at it and I went, you got to be kidding me. That's seven years to get a bachelor. <laughs> and guess who was with me? Who's that? Connell Lewis. Was he? Apostle Lewis. Yeah, my okay. teammate now. A lot of people, my name is, you know, he has a church oh, that he has. He, yeah, so um, he was with me. He was doing more speaking than I was. He was telling him what kind of degree I wanted and this and that. But that's the kind of support we always had for each other. Right. So, so I did that. That was... Uh, and I, I don't regret it to this day. It started started me to where I am now and actually reaching my academic potential. So I have to ask the question since you threw it out there. 
home school of home economics what were you looking to get out of that well the school of home economics i was going into urban development i love to build houses which i i did use that degree i built the first green homes in southeastern michigan okay. so even though i didn't complete my degree i did use that the information and education that i had but what i found was this is not what i want to do for the rest of my life right. so at the same time it was actually a good thing when i went back to school and um find my real passion which is working with people working with youth working with adults working in nonprofit organizations working to help community um so you know i found my my true passion right and um and you taught me something today because i hear school of home economics and i think of <laughs> sorry the 1950s of uh cooking and cleaning and baking and what <laughs> No, no, it's not that at all. It was, it was designed. I used to, I used to do artwork when I was in high school, so I was pretty creative, mm -hmm. um, building things, designing, drawing, and things of that nature. So that's like how I gravitated there because I wanted to try to use that skill set to help. And at that time, I, I still was still real close to the urban area. I had just left. I mean, some eighteen-year-old kid, nineteen-year-old kid. I'm, I know and I remember what the urban area was like. Uh, to backtrack, uh, and I don't know why this is now getting in my brain, that I remember that you were recruited by Dutch and uh, Jimmy Williams. Uh, mm -hmm. what, uh, what effect did they have on you, be it short? Um, I know Jimmy was a great recruiter, but uh, was there any uh, anything now that knowledge that you gained from those guys yeah you want me to give you some information that no one knows I want to talk with everybody go for about something they want to give you guys an in, inside lane go for some, it. all right so there was a scorekeeper named larry ellis and there's a, a, a beat writer here charlie hallman mm -hmm. correct you right. know who they are correct yeah would, would you believe they just happened to play for my high school coach so originally, I was probably going to go to Michigan State. Those two got together with my coach, and my coach got me to talk to me about it. He told me to go up there. He said, well, since you're going to Minnesota, I mean, Michigan State anyway, you're going to Michigan State. And that's why uh, you see uh, Michigan State on my retirement, because they had it. They had it. It was done. Mm -hmm. um, um, so he said, cancel your visit to Purdue. He said something real weird to me. I started hearing things and I never thought about it because my coach, you know, coaches back then, they, I mean, you, you couldn't do enough. You couldn't do anything right, you know. Um, so he said something he had never said to me before. He said, I want you to cancel the visit to Purdue. You know, I think you should cancel the visit to Purdue. This is why. He said that. And this is not a strike against anyone. That I don't want to do, but this is what my coach said to me and shocked me. And I sit there and I didn't say anything. I just looked at him. He said to me, Gene Keaty has never put, you know, at that time, he had never put anyone in the NBA. And that shocked me when he said that. And I looked at him. I was like, you think I can play in the NBA or something? I just looked at him because I've never been doing, never do enough. You know, nothing is ever right. You know, mm -hmm. I just looked at him. 
And he said, I need you, I want you to take a look at Monica University in Minnesota. These guys call me and they could be a good support system for you there. And it's a wonderful place. Go take a look at it. And that's how I got to, to take my visit to Minnesota. I originally was not going to visit Minnesota. So if everyone in the Twin Cities want to thank Larry, Lawrence Ellis, uh, and Mr. Holman, Charlie. Mm -hmm. So um, for speaking to my coach and getting me to take a look. And when I got up here and I saw it, that was it. It was over. And I saw everything. And as I said, I saw Al Lewis and I saw the lifestyle that I could live up to playing basketball for the university. It was a done deal. You know, I called Judd Heathcote and Tom Izzo. And I said, look, I you know, as a kid, being in Michigan State, you know, being in Michigan, going to Michigan State, I always dreamed of playing there. And I know that I said I would end up coming there, but I got to go to Minnesota. This is where I belong. This is where I want to be. This is what I always imagined life would be like, you know. Um, and this is what I'm going to do. And uh, so those two gentlemen were instrumental in making this happen. Well, if you didn't think you were going to the NBA, um, did you ever think in your wildest dreams as being the uh, at one point the all-time leading scorer at the University of Minnesota? No, no, no. It, it for me here. I could have. I could have. Let's. I'll say this, and you won't hear me say this often enough. You know, with Coach Haskins, it was about what I needed to do to help us win. I could have. I could have beat that record. I could have beat that record easily. It wouldn't have been a thought to beat that record if, if I was just going for Willie, if I was just going for scoring, if I was just only thinking about, yeah, I could have done that. However, that's not what our team was about. Our team was about everyone. Richard's job was getting every rebound that nobody else could. That's what we expected of him. You know, Jim Schick and Jancy to run the floor, shoot that jump shot, keep those big guys outside so that it'd be easier for myself, Melvin, and Kevin to drive in. So, and then when we drove in, when we threw him that basketball, he had to hit that shot. Right. Because if he doesn't, then his, his man is gonna clog the lane. We had expectations of each other in order for us to win. And that meant putting ourselves in the back corner. Kevin could have scored more. Melvin probably could have scored more. And Walter come in, Walter would do every little intricate detail of what we were missing, because he could sit there off the bench. He could look at the game before he went in, and he could see what we needed. He would come in and provide that spark in that area. You know? Um, so that's the type of team we had. Uh, looking at being an all-time scorer, I never really paid attention to it until everyone else started talking about it. Oh, you're, you're here. You're moving up the scoring list. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't focusing on it. I was focusing on how far can we get, you know? So that's okay. How did it feel when they raised your number in the raft rafters at the old barn Wayne's arena? Now that was one of my goals. Okay. That was one of my goals to try to get up there. Because that that sig signifies that that I put in a body of work. You know? Everyone up there put in a body of work. You know? You know, but that was really significant for me because I never thought it was going to happen. 
You know, you set your goals as a kid. I walked in, you know, you remember the old doors. You should just walk in with Zarina. They lock it up now and got swipes. And but remember, you should you just walk in with Zarina. Yep. And the doors, the swinging doors, mm-hmm. you you could walk in there, and the, that would be the first thing you see right there for all the retired jerseys. You couldn't help but see it. It was pretty much the only thing in there at that time. Um, there weren't a lot of things in there. Not like today with all these banners and this and that. It was just only that. And that was like, and it was only like, I think it was three people up there at yeah, the time. Three or four. It was only like three people. Right. Yeah. That was like, now that'd be cool. That'll be, that'll be cool to do. So when it happened, uh, how did you feel? I felt like, I felt relieved. I felt relieved and I was able to, I was able to realize that no one goes up there by themselves. I was able to then realize that it takes a team effort across the board to for something like that to happen. No individual can go up there alone. It's just, you can think about it, you can say, I, 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 I. That's just you feeding your own ego. You know, um, there was a lot of pain, a lot of sweat, a lot of blood, a lot of injuries, a lot of losses. There was a lot of things that pushed one to persevere, challenges that typically in sports actually prepares you for life. You know, um, it was it was it was a relief to me, but the most beautiful thing about it was everyone else got to enjoy it with me. Right. You know, everyone got to enjoy it with me. All my teammates, guys that I played with, um, coaches that I had. Um, the only one wasn't there. Did I? I don't remember Harry being there. He was around somewhere. Believe yeah, me. I don't remember Harry being there, but but you know, thanking Harry because Harry, a lot of people don't know my senior year. Harry used to do things with his hands, and he used to create things for us. Right. So, for instance, I had a problem with my Achilles, mm-hmm. and the, the shoe that I had, Harry, some kind of way, created, and he could doctor up our equipment so that it was custom to us. A lot of people don't know that. If they look at my shoe, my shoe has got a cutout, and it's got some elastic in the back of it right. because that, the shoe was digging into my Achilles. And then when I went in after I played, I looked up and my shoe was sitting in his window. I was like, hey, that's my shoe. <laughs> so Harry would collect. Yes. He would collect all of the custom work that he would do. And it was just, it was great. So it was, yeah, he don't create that shoe. Uh, you right. know, wherever. I'm, I'm injured. Well, I know as a, as a former equipment manager and a friend of his that he was always very... Uh, happy when he came up with stuff like that and it also taught me but also forced me to learn how to uh, adapt and manipulate shoes and pads and all those things it becomes a source of pride for an equipment person to be able to do that and to keep keep their athletes safe healthy and on the field or on the court so I, I know he did that with a lot of pride and those were his trophies. He didn't. He yeah. got rings, but he didn't care about rings. He cared more about those things because they represented the uh, relationship 
that he had with that person. And till this day when I talk to him, like I said, I saw him on this past Saturday. He still talks about the relationships more than anything. Yeah. 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 So that's, I mean, that, those are, those are times. Those are, are keepers in there, that stuff there. So, you know, I'm back here now. I finally made it back. Right. Um, again. <laughs> so um, I'm just trying to take advantage of the opportunities that are around me um, and uh, be a part of society. Right. And um, one last question before we get into what you're doing now. Um, the head football coach at the University of Minnesota uses phrases and terms and whatnot, and one of the words he uses is elite. How was it to be part of an elite eight basketball team? It was great. I mean, it's great for everyone. It's great for us as players. It's great for the coaching staff. It's great for the fans. great for the community. It's great for kids um, to aspire. It's just great overall um, for everyone, the feeling, you know, um, the feeling of achieving. And watching the Twin Cities, uh, watching the Twin Cities celebrate. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, we did. Uh, and it wasn't taken away, so and it can't be taken away. Because you guys yeah. did things the right way, and and um, you were pretty fun to hang out with and be around and get to know. Um, and you talked about getting your degree, but now you've even gone e- even further. Let's talk about what Willie Burton's doing now, which um, I kind of said in my opening, never judge a book by its cover. And um, <laughs> it's never too late. Well, what Willie's going to tell us about uh, now uh, will fit under both of those. So what do you got going these days now, Willie? Well, now these days I've slowed down. I'm uh, here at the university. Uh, I began my Ph.D. and also assistant instructor at the University of Minnesota, um, which is, is which I like. I really like. I um I've been building my my, uh, my professional skill set over the last 14 years now. Um, started off when I finished my degree. I went into the health department. I started writing programs and developing programs. Those programs then went across the state, um, working in school districts to redesign uh, athletics. Um, safety programs I've created that start expanding to, I think, 400 schools in eight counties. Uh, then I'm behavioral health for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, appointed by the governor. I mean, but, and I started doing the work and I realized once I did the XLU, I created the XLU curriculum, which is 10 curriculums uh, that I was doing doctoral. Someone brought that to my attention. Uh, I was teaching at Wayne State and I had just finished my master's degree. And someone brought to my attention that, Willie, you're doing doctoral work right now. All of what you're doing with these curriculum, the statistics, the data, the measurement, sorting and rating, control groups, you're doing doctoral work. And you should really take a look at 
starting your PhD because you're already doing the work. So I started that process. Um, started talking with Quincy Lewis first to kind of pick his brain and pick a few other individuals' brains. And they thought it'll be something that would be advantageous for me. Uh, Walter Bond told me, he said, he's going to fall out if I get accepted for my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's going to fall out. But one of the things that no one knew about is that I went to Catholic school and I carried a 3.6 GPA before I came to the University of Minnesota. And one of the things, and the athletes will do this to you, you have to be careful. Right. I didn't let, I didn't let individuals know how intelligent I was because of course they expect me to get a 3.6, 3.5 in college. And I said, I was going to enjoy college, relax, you know, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this part. I was out of the, you know, from up under the nuns. And, you know, if you don't get a 3.2, at least we're going to take you to the basketball court. And, you know, and it's that, that's where, you know, you say judge a book by its cover, but that was intentional on why. And athletes are doing that to this day. I didn't want to let people know the level of my intelligence because in my expectations in the classroom would be increased. True story. So, yeah. Um, when that day comes and you get and you receive your doctorate, what will it mean to Willie Burton? Well, it's going to mean to me that I push the boundaries on and off the court, both to their limit. Um, it's going to mean that I've reached the pinnacle with a ball in my hand and a book in my hand. It's going to serve as a, a motivating factor to not only my children but others that are there. It's gonna it's gonna help. It's gonna help others around me. It's not, but meaning to me, it'll be something that I achieve. It'll mean a lot. But what I've learned is that being in the position of, of the public eye is the effect you have on others. So far, already three or four individuals have been inspired to go back to school. A couple of my teammates, Bob Martin, is going to get his master's. So, you know, those are the things that I look at. Who do I inspire? How many do I inspire? Mm -hmm. um, as far as meaning to me, I guess when I get there, you know, I'll think about that. But right now, this is not easy. This is, this is much different than a master's degree. Right. You know, a master's degree, you could take two days off or a day here or two or three days there. With a PhD, you can't take no days off. There's no such thing as a day off. It's, it's, like, it's like athletics. Well... It would be very strange to have to call you Dr. Burton <laughs> or Dr. Willie. <laughs> but uh, when it happens, I'll be, I'll be very proud and be rooting for you. Uh, well, thank I you. can't let you get away without asking you about what you see in college and high school sports these days. What are your thoughts? What do you think is being done right? And what do you think being done wrong? Well, I think that uh, I think one of the things is being done right is the fact that these the athletes are not being compensated a lot more. You'd be surprised at the number of athletes that lost their scholarship because they were hungry or because they wanted a pair of shoes right. or they wanted the basics, these revenue-generating sports. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing that right. You know, and my son, even though he ran track and, you know, I'm one of the parents that, 
that thought that him having a scholarship, but is it right to take the revenue generating sport athletes who some of them have parents don't have have things or they're taking care of themselves and they can't afford to get them the things that they need. Is that right? When, when you look at, uh, I'll say this again, when you look at sports, when you look at these sports, and, and I got to be honest with you, when you look at some of these sports that parents have to pay a, a college um, tuition, you know, and I, you know, gymnastics, mm-hmm. tennis, it's golf. I'm just being honest. When they can take that money and put it away for their kids, um, you know, is that right? You know, for kids that may come out of an urban area that really don't have anything, you know, to put those students on the on their backs, because well, uh, that's what that's what actually happened. You, you do understand it, right? right. That, that's what actually happened. The revenue-generating sports paid to have other students yep. go to school. Yep, and participate in their sport, in their, in their dream. No, I, right. that was taught to me day one by um, Dick Benson and Harry Broadfoot. So it was like, this is football. Football pays the bills for everybody else. <laughs> so like, except basketball. <laughs> yeah, except except basketball. basketball. And and hockey sometimes in this at this university. But um, yeah, that was that was driven in my head from day one and always <laughs> always has been reminded that don't forget that. And and I, I don't. But I also have spent time with the with the non-revenue generating sports and those athletes spend the same amount of time, uh, give the same amount of effort, uh, have the same studies, have the same uh, sense to the community. And um, so in a way they, they earn what they get also. But I do think that, uh, Supersizing of scholarships, especially especially for the uh, gener- the ones that generate revenue, is something that's long overdue. Now, as far as paying, I kind of struggle with that. But given making sure they have all the the everything they need, plus tuition, books, and, and board, and then to cover things like they can go out and have a date or go buy a pizza or do different things, even though, got to be honest with you, they're being well-fed these days. <laughs> so, um, especially in football and basketball. Um, mm-hmm. Do you uh, Have you had a chance to come back and speak to any of the teams? Yeah, I've, had, uh, I've been blessed to have the ability to do so. Um, and I think that um, really is important to have the, you know, have the ability to do that. You know, um, to speak with them. It's their turn now. It's different. You know, when you're old, this is one of the first things that you know when you're old. When you compare what you did to what they're doing now. Right. When I work, you know, I work with youth, and I, I learned some no-nos. You know, um, Everyone in their generation before, yeah, you made less money. Yeah, you less had attention. You had less equipment. You had this. But that doesn't mean you negate the fact that these students, you know, um, have deserved to get where they are now. And at the same time, it, you know, you're one of the, the uh, 
uh, founders, I would say, of, of helping this program get there. Don't negate it by complaining about what you didn't have. Because at the time, you had stated it earth. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm real down the middle type of guy, right. uh, more focused. And I do have, uh, I guess, having <laughs> kids that were athletes, right. I understand today where they are and um, what their thought process is. As I always remind, used to remind athletes who would come back to visit, it's like we, used, we would give you the best we had at the time. Now we're giving them the best we had at this time and four years from now they'll come back and see me and i'll tell them the same thing i gave you the best i could give you at that time this group is getting something better but it's the best of that time so you to me you always want those athletes who stand on your shoulders to have it better than you at least that's my thought yeah yeah, but believe it or not, sometimes you have to be careful because sometimes athletes, the hardest part about it is when it, you have to hang it up. Yes. You know, when, you, when it's time to hang it up, you know, you know guys don't realize it. <clears throat> entertainment. That's what it is. It's really what it is. It's entertainment. It's a light bulb. It's only going to last for so long. You know this. You know it's a light bulb. They told you it's a light bulb. It's very clear that this is a light bulb, but for some reason it doesn't sink in until everything stops. And then at that point, you know, you have to work on adjusting. And it's hard to do because your whole life you've done this. You know, you have to work on adjusting. Even, I don't care if you do go play professional. It's, the light is going to go off. It's going to go off. And in your head, you got to adjust. You know, and find, seek measurement, seek counseling, seek something to help you adjust. Don't show up complaining about what you see. You know, I had my turn. Let me sit back and go off into the sunset. Yeah. Is there anything you think colleges can do to help with that landing? I think it needs to be reiterated more. I think it needs to be reiterated more, especially as the time coming out. It, just, it should be a transition. It should start the process of transition. Everyone should have a transition process. I think that's one of the things that could be implemented within uh, college sports because it's hard to hard to turn off the crowd. It's hard to turn off that adrenaline. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be, you know, you get patted on the back. Hey, how you doing? People see you in public, you know? And as you, you know, here in Minnesota is different and unique. You can continue that a lot, a lot more than you would if you were somewhere. Yeah, you know, well, that's one of the advantages to be. Yeah. One of my former softball players, who she was lucky to represent her country in, in the Olympics. She's not an American. She's from Canada. And uh, she posted on her Facebook page after the Olympics and everything because they won a bronze medal. And there was a lot of post celebration stuff and whatnot. And all of a sudden it all stopped. Mm-hmm. And she posted on her Facebook page, literally, basically saying, help, I don't know what to do next. I feel lost. I feel empty. I feel, and I reached out to her and said, one, 
continue to love yourself, but two, sit down and talk with somebody. Like you said, a therapist. Start making a plan. Mm-hmm. Figure out what your next it is that you that you want to do. You know, it may be in sports, it may be not be in sports. But you got to yeah. figure out what your next it is because sitting there only makes it worse. Yeah. So, so now you just asked me the, the, the question of the person that creates K-12 programs, that's the next step. That is the next step because it'll make it'll make the, the it'll make it easier when you start the process prior to find out what it is they like to do. Get them to start doing it now, you know. Not later, not after when it's over with, you know. Right. You know, so it's just my thought. Yeah, I, my thought too. You know, prepare them before that landing happens because if you don't. I mean, even for myself, once I left athletics, it was not the easiest because it's such, you know, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of ups and downs, but there's a lot of great relationships and a lot of euphoria that's tied with it, too. And all of a sudden, all that is basically gone in an eye blink and you just like. Okay, how do I regroup? What do I do to regroup? How do I take things that I've learned and maybe help me in the future? And those were the things that helped me start this podcast and helped me start my glove repair business. So I was able to take some skills that I had and move them forward. Mm-hmm. So, um, lastly, uh, so you're working on this, and you're, what are you, uh, and it sounds like such a weak term, teaching in college? Uh, introduction to sport management right now. I have taught um, sports sociology in the past, and I've got a funny feeling I've taught legal, sports law. <laughs> I've, I've taught quite a few things, so... Okay. Um, um, just to just to keep going, man. You know, this is kind of like life. It's kind of like, you know, for me, this is a continual process, though. Keep in mind, this is a continual process of turning off the lights right. because it, it never completely leaves you. You just have to put the energy somewhere else. But um, I've taught those classes, and I continue to try to expand my understanding of sports and take a deeper dive into it. What is it? What What is this? the largest growing uh, profession and business in the United States. Uh, second right now to computers, but over the last 70 years, it's number one. Mm-hmm. It's sports. What is it? What does it entail? What are the models in which um, they were founded on? What's, what's the business model? You know? And um, the single entity, that's that's the answer to that. But the single entity, that's how all sports teams start, including the NBA, WNBA, Major League Baseball, so on and so forth. You know? So it's, it's just understanding and learning, you know, the business side and other aspects of what I did. 
have you had any discussions about the uh, social? Right, and tell me about like social, civil aspects that sports affect with your uh, students at the U. Yeah, that's sociology of sports. It talks about the social mechanisms in which sports play in society, and vice versa. Because we watched it all play out in the NBA, and especially, I have to hand it to them, the, the women of the WNBA. They, it, yeah. was, it was like they brought their motherly uh, insides out and just said, hey, we're not going to have this. We're going to do better. We're going to expect better. And they, you know, there was no shutting them up and no pushing them back. Well, you have to give the NBA because, you know, you have to be allowed to do that. In the past, you were not allowed to do that. I'll give you an example. Bill Russell. Correct. So, um, it was not cool to do that. It was not. It was actually frowned upon. You know? And so, you have to give the credit also to the NBA and the NBA owners for allowing those players to do that and not doing like what happened with Kyler Kaepernick. Right. Destroying so, his um, career over, over yeah. a, a gesture. Yeah, but think about it. That happened today. It's not, that didn't happen. It's not 1960. Right. This is 2020, 2022. That happened now. So that, that kind of, that's why, you know, more credit should be given to the NBA's owners and the NBA as an office because they've superseded those stereotypes of past sport organization blockades. That's true. You are 100% correct because if you, which the WNBA, a lot of the teams are owned by NBA owners. And you take the NBA and you look against the, uh, across the aisle to the NFL, they don't, the NFL doesn't even come close. I mean, they make tons more money, but they come, they lack the social, you know, the social part that the uh, NBA and especially the WNBA brings to the table. So, yeah. I want to thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. I know you got to get back to work working on that doctorate. And it, uh, nothing will make me happier to be able to call you Dr. Burton. <laughs> and, well, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, because then that's just another story I can tell young people about uh, people I knew at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I, I guess what I'm doing now is I'm pushing the boundaries of, of, of the conceptual um, aspects of what an athlete is supposed to do and be once they finish. Um, um, as I look at it, as I've been told. And, and I really appreciate that. Um, I've taken my competitiveness and just placed it in other areas to see how far I can move, how far I can go, and take advantage of the opportunities that are placed in front of us. Because as athletes, there are opportunities in front of us. We just don't see them and or take advantage of them. Whereas if a person who had to struggle to go to school, 
had these opportunities, they take it all the way to the end. And that's something that athletes need to, to look at and they need to get themselves out of. It's enough to smile, shake hands, and sign autographs. But am I taking advantage of the things that I've worked for? That's a good question, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is has been a wonderful hour. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the future. Dr. Willie Burton, go for basketball, great, NBA, great, and just all around great person. Willie, again, I want to thank you for your time, and I want you to keep striving, and I want you to keep being a role model for the young people out there. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks to people like you for doing what you do. You know, we all have a role in society, as Plato would say. And, um, you know, you played your part. You put up with us a bunch of young athletes in the locker room, probably saying things, throwing stuff around at each other and everything else, you know? Yeah, like I said, everyone has a part to play, and you were part of it. You know? You've seen us grabbing each other in the headlock, acting silly, playing games. You were more mature than we were. We were just still kids. <laughs> I don't know if I was more mature. I just knew I had... You were right. I had the role to play, and if I had joined into what you guys were doing, then I would hear it from Harry that, "Hey, you can't be doing that." So you gotta be professional. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you very, so very much. All right, thank you. Have a good day. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right, Willie, we're clear. Thank you. Okay, cool. Thank you very much, man. That was that's pretty cool. All right. Yeah, that was pretty cool. You used to be looking at us like, man, you guys. I mean, we were sitting here like, man, he's so serious, dude. He's like serious. We're just like hustling around. We're kids. We like. But you got yeah, that is true with Harry. Harry was by the book, man. With everything, with a pair of socks, he was by the book. So Lord knows. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. His last couple of years, he really struggled with the fact that it was now we had to give it to them. He really struggled. What? He really struggled. With that. And they're, they're, Harry and, ha- and I had several conversations about that. It's like, Harry, just give it to them. It's their stuff. It's, it's, it's just less stress. You got. I said, so what are you going to do with that stuff? You might as well just give it to them. Tell them, here, take it. You know, and yeah, and it, and it used to be you couldn't have your uniform until you graduated. Now it's like at the end of the season, if we're not using it again, here's your uniform. Man, listen, I had to take my jersey with me. The other two jerseys were my home jersey before I got back and disappeared. Right. Bob Peterson and those guys went in and got them. I've seen one in the Mall of America. And I've seen one over here and said, I was like, man, my stuff was, that's what some told me. Don't give this back to Harry because you won't see it. Right. Well, so I still I still have my weight right. go for uniform, but I never catch a chance to keep my home uniform. That was gone. Dude, it was gone before I got back. Right. They disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's and that was the whole thing of the uh, lawsuit that uh, the UCLA ball player that was the crux of his case, which was hey. 
they make money off of me when I was there, and they continue to make money off of me because they take my jersey and put it somewhere for people to look at. Yeah, it'll bend. Right. Or they they take my jersey and they sell it in an auction or they do this or they do that. And it's like, um, and it just got to a point where that lawsuit looked like we were, <laughs> looked like we were going to lose. The University of Minnesota <laughs> was out in front and said, just give it to them. Because then, let's <laughs> just give it to them. Then that way we don't get we don't turn around and have somebody sue us for uh, use of their image and their likeness and all of that stuff. It's like yeah, yeah. It was it was just, and it, it, to be honest with you, there was other people in my group that struggled with it too. And I said, why is that so hard, guys? Just give it to them <laughs> and it's gone. <laughs> it's not because, yours. Yeah, but because there was there were reasons with those jerseys. Those jerseys used to. The university and deals that were made, there was a lot of stuff going on that I heard about right. that when I left, where the value of that stuff, they could do stuff with it. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's why. And that's now, true. now you can't do that. Now what? <laughs> right. Now it's just a, basically another piece of, you know, it, it's a you know, little bit better piece of workout gear. <laughs> that's what it is now, you know. It's, because if you if they're not going to use your uniform again the next year, they maybe frame one and give you the others. And that's you know it's like here, take it. Because yeah, I just I got the last jersey I wore at Georgia Tech. I wouldn't turn it in here because I knew I was like, where's my home jersey? There, nobody had an answer. <laughs> nobody had an answer. Like man, for real. <laughs> filed that lawsuit and we all sat back and thought about it. Like the best thing we can do is, because you know we stop, we only make like, when they sell uniforms and whatnot now, it, uh, replica jerseys and whatnot, mm-hmm. it either has no number or it has a, like the common number of one <laughs> or zero. Yeah. You know, or the, the year, something. They, they try to use a number that isn't being used so nobody can say, hey, you're making money off of me. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> is, that jersey says 22. There was no 22. 22 just happened to be the year that we made those. So, yeah. I mean, it created a lot of thought and a lot of you know, hand-wringing. I'm going to be honest with you. That's why the transfer portal was given to the athletes. That's why the uh, uh, bigger scholarships are being given to to the athletes and whatnot. Because the last thing schools want are to be sued greatly and to lose big time. Mm-hmm. So, well, the athletic director, the NCAA athletic director that left, I think in 1977, he left, and the last thing he said was, the NCAA is modern day slavery. Right. So it was just a matter of time before things start trickling down. It's just the more educated individuals became, I'll tell you what, where, where it was good, but where they messed up. Once they start requiring higher GPAs and higher intelligence to come to college, right. now you're getting a, a group of individuals that can think. 
They're looking at laws. They're looking at historical context. They're pushing the envelope. If you kept it to if you kept it to where these individuals were not going to finish college and they didn't care, they wouldn't have. It would have went on the same way. But once that tilted and individuals could think, they had parents that were lawyers, parents that were successful, and they get to push the bar, and they get to ask questions. Oh man, <laughs> that's that's what happened. Right. That, that that generation that came through called the. Um... They're all in their 30s now, but um, anything and everything you said to them was followed by a why. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Millennials. Millennials. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was followed up with a why. Why? (laughs) And you just stand there and it's like, so you got to a point where it's like, just explain it all to them ahead of time. And eliminate as many as wise as you possibly can. <laughs> but um, no, it was uh, yeah, you're right. Educating, having higher educated people uh, meant that they were going to ask for more and more and more, and and they're not done asking. The the uh, commissioner of the Big Ten. It's basically, I think, setting things up for athletes to receive a bigger stipend. Without a doubt. Because, number one, he has to, be, he has to outmark the others. Right. And he's, he's, right now, he's stealing teams left and right from conferences. Dude, he from East Coast to West Coast. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> from New York to California. Are you serious? Yeah. Which I think is great, but... Really, that's that's almost like it's going to shut, it's going to shut a lot of people out of revenue. Yeah, it's going to start to shut a lot of people out of revenue. A lot of these colleges and schools, their programs are going to go bust, or they're not going to generate revenue that they have been generating. They're not. No, because you got some of these football teams who come and play Ohio State or play Michigan, and they were getting a million five a game. And they were, that was their biggest payday for the, mm-hmm. for the whole athletic department. And now I bet you within five years, they're going to say to the, you know, the schools in the big 10, you get one of those games a season. And then you play other schools from bigger conferences to keep the money, mm-hmm. keep the money in within us. Stop paying, you know, you pay those because, you know, if you bring a bigger school in, all you got to pay is their expenses, basically. No, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to they're keep this model. They're going to keep this model because if they if they stop that model, then you're going to crush the smaller schools yeah, and completely. And, that, and I was going to say, and that's the worry that those smaller schools have is that they're going to be left out in the cold by the bigger schools. Nah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. What if you could keep that in place and hold it over their head? And always, it's like giving back. So, in other words, it's like community community service. They'd be right. to be the big cohort. So, right. if I'm if I'm employing these teams and supporting these teams, and I'm putting money in these conferences' pockets to play us in basketball, in football, 
Because that's a lot of games. The bigger, mm-hmm. but the bigger your conference is, the bigger control you have over that, the bigger say you have. So that's like that's like a social responsibility, right? Financial social responsibility. They they're not going to remove that. They remove that. They'll take their head off. Well, in 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 a way, that was the reason why the college football playoff expanded was because it became a two basically a two conference playoff yep the SEC and the Big 10 with yep. uh, with uh Clemson jumping in every once in a while to represent the ACC but outside of that it became a two conference thing and everybody was like even though they were sharing the revenue with everybody basically but you know they all want that prestige too yeah, but what happens is if you give them that kind of control and they continue to grow as a conference, it's going to shut them out. Right. If you have revenue generated in the championship, but the championship revenue generated is nothing compared to a whole season. Correct. You see what I'm saying? So, Or what it no. means for the, the, you know, you hear stories about these math whizzes decided to go to this school because they saw Michigan football on TV. Or Ohio State football on TV. Now the math department gets a boost because they got the biggest and the brightest. Okay, so now you got the Big Ten and the SEC of football, right? Right. Right. So don't you think you got the? Don't you think you got the Big Ten in basketball? Yeah, you got the Big you, Ten. You, get, you got the Big Ten and ACC in basketball. Correct. So the Big Ten is there in the major sports. So guess what's right. happening to the Big Ten? You, you see where this is going? Oh, yeah. So the Big Ten is in the tops in both of the top revenue-generating sports. Come on. That's that. <laughs> you know, that's called monopoly. Right. Really, they're going to, sooner or later, they're going to get hit with a monopoly. <laughs> with a monopoly. I'm just saying. Probably. Now you're, now you're from, from New York to California. Well. I mean. <laughs> and when you supersize these scholarships like they have to do. And um, start and because Commissioner Warren made it a thing where mental health was something that had to happen in the Big Ten schools for the athletes. That was yep. one of his things, and that um, you know better athletics and finishing, being able to come back and finish school. Because not all the schools in the Big Ten were, were like that. Now I think they all are. And all the other initiatives that he's pushing are coming and are going, only going to get bigger from the fact of the bigger TV contract because he's gone from, from Midwest to East to West. Man, he's in Los Angeles and New York. Yeah. I mean, come on. And, and those got, are the two biggest markets in the United States. He's in those two markets. And got other schools beating on the door to get in. Mm-hmm. Like Phil Knight and Oregon want to be in the Big Ten. You know they want to be in the Big Ten. Stanford wants to bring that academic power into the Big Ten. And that's why I continue to shake my head at Notre Dame because they want to play that game. And it's like, keep playing that game. And one of these days, you might be on the outside looking in. 
No, Notre Dame is smart. Notre Dame is a part of the Big Ten, but only in certain sports. So they got their foot in the door. They didn't want to offend them. But they, uh, I don't know. If you re- if, if you want an interesting read, uh, try to. F- I read an article. And I don't know who wrote it, but it was years ago. The Big Ten versus Notre Dame, and it points out at different points since before uh, Newt Rockney, since the Big Ten was started, and the Big Ten left them out because they were a private school. Um, a private Catholic school because Northwestern is a private school. And um, ever since then, the finger, the middle finger toward each other back and forth over the decades is a pretty good read. You know, Notre Dame wanted in. Luke Rodney brings them to power. The Big Ten wanted them. And Notre Dame went, go fuck yourself. (laughs) And on and on and on and on. But it, it, yeah, it, it's. But notice this: they're they're surrounded by Big Ten schools. Yes, completely they are. Now. Yep. I mean, they're they're completely surrounded by Big Ten schools. Yep. And have their hockey team in the Big Ten hockey conference. Mm-hmm. So. All right, sir. I'm gonna let you get going. All right, I turned in a homework assignment doing our, our uh, interview. So I, I completed and turned in a homework assignment. I got two more I want to knock out tonight. All right, man. You, you keep doing it. You keep knocking it down and being, like I said, being a uh, role model for people. Young, well, thank and, you, sir. young and old. Like I said, it's never too late. Who knows? Maybe once I retire, maybe I'll go back to school and become the world's oldest student manager again. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they got, being a student manager now is a whole lot different. They got so much more equipment. I mean, so much more stuff. I don't know how y'all keep up with that. It's, uh, you have to be a detail-organized person. If not, you're, you're a mess. And I uh, saw, like I said, I saw the track coaches today. And uh, Kabia looked at me and he goes, JB, I know I said this to you this uh, earlier this uh, last week. And I'll say it again. I miss you, man. And that place downstairs is a fucking mess. That's why they won't open the door and open the window. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I appreciate that. That that really makes my day. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. It's, it, you know, people are good at what they do. It's just, people think you can replace somebody. It's not as easy as you think. It, it's better to train someone to replace someone than to think you have someone that's just going to replace them. Because it's a system in place that people get used to. And when that system is altered, it and we're the athletics, you're talking about A-type personalities, they're not gonna be friendly about it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you gotta bring the best constantly when you're dealing with those A-type coaches and whatnot. So Yeah. All right, yeah. man. You be good. All right, you too. Yeah. Later. All right, bro. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant, and I'm driving my car safely and legally communicating on my phone. 
Minnesota law allows a driver to use their cell phone to make calls, text, listen to music or podcasts, and get directions by voice command or single-touch activation without holding your phone. Violations are very expensive. The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes per year, and nearly 400,000 injuries are caused by texting and driving. Not surprising, since four seconds with your eyes off the road is like driving the length of a football field blindfolded. And research shows that just two seconds increases the risk of an accident up to 24 times. Texting may only take a second, but it can end your life or ruin it forever. Please. Drive safely and stay alive. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. And I like I stated before, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's never, as Willie told us time and time again, it's never too late to continue to better yourself, educate yourself, and make others around you better. And to also continue to motivate others. As he stated, he's still motivating teammates of his. With that... I'd like to thank Willie again. I'd like to thank you for listening. And I'd like to thank you for your support. Tell a friend. And with that, have a good week and weekend. And come back again to listen to the next episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African-American, black, black, black. Django, J.B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know J.B. Our great Negro sex machine.